Hello and welcome to New Polities Podcast. I'm very excited uh, today because I have some special guests, Sean and Beth Doherty. And we're here to talk about such dire things as food collapse, apocalypse, <laughs> empty shelves, hurting stomachs, and the land. Yeah, we're excited to be here. <laughs> <laughs> so get as conspiratorial as you'd like to be, put on that, put on that tinfoil hat. No, I'm just kidding. We are here to talk about some of the principles of sustainable farming and why that should matter to Catholics, to post-liberals, to people that want to live radically in this um, increasingly um, sinful and difficult world. Fair enough? I think so. I think so. So a little bit of an introduction. Um, Sean and Beth are most famous for living near us, and so that's why they're here. <laughs> Uh, I think I you live near say. us, Mark, yeah. since we've been here since 1990. Uh, fine, that's fair. Yeah. So Sean and Beth, I mean, some of you might might know them, are um, sort of somewhat accidentally famous within the world of permaculture, sustainable agriculture. Um, they've published a book with Chelsea Green, which is a um, reputable um, sort of reputable. New, it's the best. It is the best publishing house for sort of new agricultural um, um, sort of radical ideas. And the name of your book is... The, the Independent, Independent Farm. Farmstead. The Independent Farmstead. And um, they have, first of all, done it, made an independent farmstead. Mm -hmm. um, but they have that, that wonderful quality um, that you only find in one in every 10 people, which is not only can they do the thing, but they can speak about doing the thing. Whereas for me, I can only speak about doing the thing that I don't do. And for many people, they can only do the things that they can't articulate. Uh -huh. This is why you never ask an artist, especially, mm -hmm. to explain the meaning behind their work. You will be so yeah, disappointed. Right. You'll wish you yes, never did it. Something right. that was so profound right. to And then you. you want to take it into your own hands and say, no, no, let me tell you. Yes. And, I, and I was an artist, theater artist. So, yeah, exactly. I should say these are, um, as much as we like to make fun of them, we call them the local yokels. They are, in fact, uh, just as intellectual as the rest of us and, and cultured. And that's something we want to talk about, which is mm -hmm. the relationship of farming to culture. Um, but before we do that, um, I should finish introducing you which is to say that you have a um, wonderful insight into uh, the nature of food production as the basis for politics. Now, I'm not saying that that's necessarily how you would introduce yourself at a party, Yes. Okay. but right. it's the way that we at New Poly sometimes think of you. Because when we think about politics, what we're trying to do is expand the notion. It's not simply a governmental work. It is the work of salvation in some mm -hmm. way because the political order is our social order that's orientated towards the production of virtue in people. So it involves everything from the training of a father to a son yes. to the positive law right. um, that governs us and, and hopefully guides us into, into virtue. So one thing that I've seen that's really missing from this conversation, because I think people will, will, with a little conversation, readily admit this, that like things like, the Catholic is supposed to be radically transforming the social order, that there is no part of our lives that shouldn't be redeemed in Christ, that it's politics, economics, the way we build our cities and, and design our roads down to what we do at 6 p.m. with our families. Like mm -hmm. it's, it's all redeemed. Mm -hmm. It all ought to be <laughs> redeemed. Mm -hmm. Okay, so we can admit that much, but then somehow when we get to talking about what we eat, Mm -hmm. 
it's like the conversation goes out the window and suddenly we're there just talking about, you know, the cheapest price. Yes. Or even more often, we simply aren't thinking about it at all. And I've even found within the Catholic world, um, which has obviously its its good relationship with the conserv- conservative world, um, that Catholics are often feel a little guilty to get serious about food production as a basic question of Catholic morality um, and not just sort of morality in like the am I sinning or not sense, but in the sense of what world are we building? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a lot of reasons for that. I think sometimes they're a little worried about uh, joining hands with people that they otherwise yeah, despise right? because you in some ways find this, right? Like, oh, oh, absolutely. Oh, I mean, where, where are our audiences? They're at Mother Earth News. Yeah. Right. And and, <laughs> you know? and I know you were, were speaking hyperbolically and saying people we otherwise despise. But yeah, we end up at least finding ourselves holding hands and cooperating with people that um, don't fall into any other subgroup with us except oh, this this. Right. So I'm thinking, I, yeah, no, and I, I, I'm grateful that you forgave me by allowing me the, the hyperbole, which it probably wasn't, which is a sinful part of my rhetoric. <laughs> no, it just simply got the point across. No. Right, right. But it's true that like, okay, the people that are most likely to be reading books on permaculture are oddly, I think it is odd, um, going to be supporting abortion or contraception. Absolutely. And so I think the conservative, you know, the busy conservative who's got a lot to do in their lives mm-hmm. is saying, look, I'm not here to parse out all the details. I'm not here to figure out, you know, I, I'm here to just try to live well mm-hmm. and to become mm-hmm. holy in the world, which mm-hmm. is a good goal. Mm-hmm. But some of what that involves is just grouping people for the sake of convenience to say like, well, I don't want to be a part of that because that's right. associated yeah, with right. a right, lot right. of other evils. That, right. Um, right, right. But you're here both in your lives and in your writing to make the radical claim that actually – um, there's real hope for conversion in those people because the revolution towards sustainable agriculture is a restoration of real Catholic principles and biblical principles. Absolutely. And that it's precisely because we've been atomized from or, and, and sort of alienated from the, the land and its particular use that things that later seem obviously okay, such as abortion. Well, what am I saying? I'm saying that the kind of life that we have created through our means of food production has mm-hmm. made the kind of practices we have all throughout our lives seem to make sense. Right. Yeah. I, I follow I, I naturally upon that 150 years ago, mm. going back to the Garden of Eden, people would have something to talk about. I mean, they all knew the same things. They all knew raising food and stuff like that. For the last 150, 200 years, if you talk to people, when they talk to the, when we get to heaven and we start talking, there's not much to talk about anymore <laughs> because the people back then have no idea what the internet is. Sure. They have no idea about electronics. They have no idea about those kinds of things. They know about farming. They know about living. They know about providing for themselves. Yeah. And we've totally lost we we don't Knowledge have in the communion of saints. The last hundred years is set apart 
by lack of ex- of shared experience. It's amazing. Lack of I know. I'm gonna I'm gonna find Saint Francis of Xavier or something and say like, well, let me tell you about yeah, right. how much time I spent on Facebook, and he'll yeah. say okay, and then probably turn to Saint Thomas Aquinas. That's right. Separated Same. by. So what were you growing? Years. Yeah, what were you? Yeah. Right, <laughs> what did right. you guys eat around? Uh, That's right, Daquino. That's right, <laughs> Aquino. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. No, I think the, um, I think that's true, and I think that we have. It's difficult because humanity comes in generations, and when you start thinking generationally, you realize that, you know, you can do something for two thousand years, you can do something for five thousand years, but all it takes is one child, that is raised in something new. Yeah. To have a different kind of humanity, right? Because and to there's break no the tradition. why one child. Because, because the child grows up with, right. with what he knows from his parents. Oh, I see. So one set of children, one generation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Gotcha. Can right. Totally mm-hmm. break the tradition, and that's what in our book we were looking around. And I love the fact that you said accidentally, because we I did absolutely too. I really came appreciate to this that. accidentally. Yeah. You know, we thought we'd live on some land. We thought we'd have a place for our boys to play and, and girls to play. We'd have a place for them and we would provide some of our food. We thought, oh, that's what we want to do with, yeah. with our piece of property. And then we started looking more and more into it. And we thought, this is different. This is a, this is a, an approach. And, and as we sit down at the table now, and where it's not just that the meals are wonderful, but the meals are the the ingredients mm. are from the farm. Yeah. The, the meal the meals tie us to the land. There's a physical communion that you have with the place you are when all your food is coming from this soil, this place, and it's all going to feed back there. Right. Yeah. You're just you're sort of caught in this web. What, is, and, what does eating mean to you? Well, you know, you were talking about how we conservatives, when we get to food, think, okay, look, I don't have time to worry about that yeah. uh, on the level that you're yes. talking about worrying about. Right. Well, that's where we came from. Sure. Although, although we had always, even before we were engaged, we talked about farming and we'd always had some farming outlet because we spent a great deal of the first five years of our marriage on his parents' farm, gardening, helping with the cows and so forth. But it didn't, it, it wasn't a textured and, and um, rightly ordered farm, sure. you know, but it was some experience. Um, we always intended to buy a place in the country. We bought a place in the country. We started raising food. I struggled for probably 10 years with the allotment of time and energy, mine, Sean's, the kids, to land care and food production because the voice in the back of my head that kept tapping me on the shoulder and saying, is this a right use mm. of your time, and, of and your thoughts, of your energy? Mm. Yeah, and we were homeschooling shouldn't the same homeschooling time. be about something else? It should. Right. We should be doing math and we should be doing reading and all those things are very important. But we also need to be recognizing that food, you know, you you ask the question, what is food to us? Food is, it's community, certainly. And it, we we just had an an issue where one of my children was eating on the go. And I said, we're not going to do that. We're going to sit down to eat. Three meals a day together. And I think it's really important. But food is also medicine. Mm. The reason we're as healthy as we are is because of, 
this. And one thing that we're very excited about, there's a conference that we're getting ready to put on. It's, it's April 1st and 2nd, uh, and it's going to be locally with local people here. And one of the talks which we don't know that much about is food as fertility or food as nutrition toward fertility. Oh, Human coming, fertility, not right. soil fertility. This is coming from, a, from an MD who that's what he does is yeah. he works with people that have fertility problems. And he's saying, he thinks, his theory, that an awful lot of these fertility problems have to do with nutrition. Sure. That the people are not are eating. You know, again, the, people say hyperbole. We don't think it's hyperbole. The food that is coming from the industrial system is poisonous. It is full of... That's de facto, people. That's right. just the fact. Well, let's, right. let, let's d dive into that because that's, that's what I want... Okay. To know, I want to know what is wrong with our production of food, and I think people have a general sense of this, right? right? Like it is odd, yes. certainly, that for the first time in thousands and thousands of yep. years, most of the farmland is owned by very few people, right? Who produce it as a commodity, so right. they produce it on a massive scale for the sake of money, and then in order to profit those people, we consume food now in the same way that we would consume any other mass-produced good, whether right. clothing or Kleenex. toys or whatever. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, that this is odd. Yeah. And that, but I, I think that move from, well, okay, obviously we've commodified food and that's sort of what we've done with everything to this is poisonous is not something that. Yeah. I and yet it's a know fact. Unless right. It's a fact. You said, what's well, wrong with our food production system? Yeah, and the yeah. short answer is everything. Okay. Now, everything. What, why we got there, Beth can address better. She, she's done the research to know why we got there. But what we can look at is what is in this process that's happening. And if I'm farming on our scale, yeah. on the human scale, yeah. um, I can go out and I can pull weeds and I can prepare a garden bed and I can get ahead of the weeds in order for my crop to come in and I can also fertilize it uh, on that scale. When I move to thousands of acres, yeah. even when you no even way. when you move to hundreds of That's hectares, right? right? right. Well, there's a there's a human land ratio that you can it's different in different environments. It's different with different goals, like what are you raising? But you, if you exceed it then the result is going to be the degradation of the land and the food. Yeah, and my tools now are different. I'm, it's no longer a hoe and a shovel. Right. It is now sprayers. Right. Because the only way I can stay ahead of the weeds, and because the weeds are going to come. I mean, right. that's, that's, part of, that's part of garden. It's their job. It's part of e, uh, uh, the Garden of Eden. Yeah. The weeds are going to come, and we're going to be fighting the weeds, and we're going to be fighting how do we till, and how do we do it. When we start doing it on that level, and we start spraying... There's pushback. Nature, that's not how nature does it. Sure. And that's one of the things that is our modeling is how do does nature do this thing? Yeah. And you will not find many of the examples in how it's done on the industrial level. Level. It's yeah. left nature. So we're going to come in and we're going to poison that thing. Yeah. Okay. I mean, how? Uh, it doesn't, we don't have to argue very hard to say if you're poisoning all of the plants that you're going to eat and you think that that's not going to affect your food right. i think you're 
being naive. Really, you know, so part of our problem is that, that for at least 100 years and for really longer, we've increasingly as human beings lived out our lives birth to death in a world of basically human construct. We live in built environments mm -hmm. with very little contact with things that aren't subject to our plans and our will. Um, that's a high, you know, it's, it's an abstract way of talking about the fact that <clears throat> we spend our time in houses and buildings and on sidewalks and on roads and in cars. And on computers. And, and on computers <laughs> yeah, right. dealing with machines yeah. until the the mental universe we we exist in mm -hmm. we move around in a world that we think of the way we think of machines as as um identical parts distinct from one another always interchangeable yep. and the way we can can use and function in that world is by moving parts and mm -hmm. doing this exchange of of you know parts or or goals yeah if you got a problem with output here a little more input there that's right and so um i think the normal person thinks about our food production system and its use of biocides yes. in that way yeah. so we picture the spraying of a crop to kill a bug right we say well i want to eat broccoli and i don't want it to have little green caterpillars in it so we spray, we find the piece, the interchangeable yep. piece right, right. to apply to that piece, little green caterpillar, to kill it and they fall off and then I get my broccoli. What's oh. wrong with this picture? Yeah. Only we don't live, I mean, our human construct world doesn't even do that isolated, serves only one purpose thing very well. Everything we do has, has endless repercussions. But in the natural world, that's inescapable. You see it all the time. Yeah, yeah. Why don't we know it? Because we don't live in the natural world. We have very little contact with it. And when we do, it's creepy or it's dirty. Yeah. We, we we shrink from it back into our lovely constructed, um, shiny. Well, I think about the, you mentioned eating for the sake of fertility. And I think about how this is, is analogous to our use of medicine today, which is to look at the human body, mm -hmm. not as That's a, exactly it. not as a whole, not as a unity, but as a mechanism. So mm -hmm. it has parts and the parts That's function. Right. And if there's a problem with the part, That's then you right. need to find out what input can or what shifting of the parts, mm -hmm. you know, or replacing, mm -hmm. replacing mm -hmm. right. And so this is an obvious one, right? That women feel very keenly because if any, if at any point they have any problem with their reproductive system or their hormonal system, then the answer is to, and by and large, 90% of the time to shut it down. Yep. Uh, through oral contraceptives or right. something like that. Right. And so right. this solves the problem, right? But only insofar as it creates another problem or rather not just creates a problem, but de denies the organic whole mm -hmm. saying that, mm -hmm. okay, health, which is related to whole, wholeness, holism, the holy, holiness. Yeah. <laughs> right. We're right. just, we're just stealing from Wendell Berry without shame here. Right. Um, <laughs> but he, you know, he makes this point that it's, when you lose that, because a machine doesn't have a hole outside of the particular end that man sets for it. So, you know, if man isn't there and is not operating it and is not directing it, it really is just its constitutive mm -hmm. parts. You mm -hmm. can sort of look at it in that way. And we think that way of the body, too, so we can just shut this down. And then, of course, we're, you know, alarmed and disturbed by the effects of doing this in terms of human fertility. It's like, oh, all of a sudden fertility yeah, is right, dropping right, worldwide right, right, and we're right. finally admitting that. And all of a sudden, you know... This isn't something that just affects even the individual. It affects the whole social body. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, in a similar sense with food, it's like, why on earth did we ever think that the earth 
was not a gift that we relate to as a whole oh. instead of a uh, you know combination and, and what, of it, again, parts what, what's happening with industrial fertility i mean with industrial farming <clears throat> yeah we end up with and, and what we're in the process of doing is um agricultural regeneration yeah and so how do we take land that now is virtually dead Right. I mean, soil is alive. It's got all kinds of microbes and all kinds of stuff in it. But if you continue to put fertil for, um, fertilizers on it and salt-based fertilizers, mm. you're killing everything. And that's what you want to do. I mean, that's what the industrial, we want to kill it all. We want to start with a completely blank slate. Mm. Then we can grow exactly what we want to happen. And it doesn't work that way. Right. And if you don't have soil that's rich in nutrients and rich and alive, your food is not rich and alive as well. And um, so how do, you know, so those are the problems with that system. Well, tell, tell me more about them before we move on because I want to know. Problems maybe, in the food system. Well, maybe more like why is it poisonous? You mean, what, you mean literally what's I, making it I get it that there's, there's poison that kills bugs, but of course someone that's skeptical is going to say, well, that's just going to kill the bugs. Because obviously, right. look, I've been eating food from the that's grocery right. store that's, that's been right. sprayed, and that's right. here I am, that's not right. keeling over. So there are a bunch of answers to that, sure. and a lot of them have to do with politics and how those things came to be included in our food system. Go back and read Upton Sinclair, and you're going to find out that we didn't always have protections in the U.S. food system. Because nobody thought about it. People ate food. They were accustomed to eating food. Food is plants and animals and a few minerals and we eat right, it right. and we're nourished by it and nobody had really thought about it. And as the means of distance transportation grew up and we started having trade across larger spaces mm -hmm. um, and especially quick trade so that we could do fresh foods at a distance, right? Yeah. Meat, dairy, a few other things. Um People went to all kinds of lengths to make their product, make it to market and make it onto consumer shelves mm -hmm. in a state that would make the people want to eat or drink that thing. So, for instance, putting formaldehyde in milk was one of the one of the go to's for wow. making milk, making it possible to shove milk cans on a train, ship them to town and have the town people drink it. So at some point and I, I don't I'm not good at dates, <laughs> so I can't tell you this That's one. Okay. But we were very breezy with this. At some point, Dates and citations. Just there we go. There we go. <laughs> go. So at some point, less than 100 years ago, I think, yeah. we, the U.S., began to establish food safety laws. I think it was in the 1940s or 50s. And those laws were put in place to, and to assure a consuming public that the things we were eating weren't going to have toxins in them. And um, how did we come to have toxins in our food anyway? Well... It has to do with the way Shake, those laws are enforced. Stability. It has to do a lot with the fact that we're not just we. You don't live on a diet of a single commodity. If you did live on a diet of a single commodity, you might at least isolate what toxins are used in the production of the commodity crop and in the way it's processed, and then say to yourself, "Well, I'll test these and see how they all interact together." Um, and maybe you could come up with a guess, but you're live you're. You're, you have a diet of a broad array of plants and animals, uh -oh, although, all of which are subjected every stage. Although it's amazing yes, corn. Yes. How much corn and soy actually are behind almost everything you eat. But yeah. those, yeah. so one of the ways that our food is toxic 
is that we have allowed certain tested chemicals to be put into the food system in order to preserve things for shelf life or to get them on the shelf fast enough for you to be able mm-hmm. to buy them, take them home and consume them. One of the ways is that um, maybe three of those in the quantities that were are deemed permissible might not have an overall effect that you'd notice in the long run. Sure, yeah. I mean, what, I'm presuming the studies that said, okay, this one's good to go, didn't last a human lifetime. They didn't yep. last, or and certainly not several generations, right, right? Right, right? Usually two years is considered a generous time frame Ooh. for food testing, right? right? Um, and a lot of things that we're doing now don't get 30, don't get more than 30 days. Oh but goodness. that's, that's I'm including drugs in that one. So, sure, sure. Um, so there is the mix of toxins. Um, there is the question of who's testing this stuff and who who's dealing with the raw data, right? Who's deciding was this okay? Mm-hmm. There's there's one simple um, obstacle to discovering what the effects of a food additive are, and that's that when we do a study, we can only look for what we can identify, right? So. Um, if you know that a toxin that you're proposing to use in the preservation or in the growing of tomatoes, if you're proposing to test that toxin, say, um, I want to see if I can apply these tomatoes and make it safe for humans to consume, and you're doing your lovely short study on that, you're going to look at what you think that toxin might do, and then you'll look for those results. But what about all the results it might have singly or in concert with all the other things that we are going to be eating that we don't identify as sure. that problem. So the first genetically modified um, product for human consumption that reached this country was in the 1980s, I think. And it was uh, natural, um, what do we call those, supplements to help people sleep maybe. And it was shipped in from China and they were using, without telling us or notifying anybody, they were using a, a four times genetically modified bacterium to produce this substance. Mm. And um, the only reason that it it, it ended up causing an epidemic, Uh, the CDC was getting notification from all over the country, like we are seeing this really, really weird condition. It's it's often fatal. It's debilitating. Um, It has many, many symptoms and we don't know what it is. Well, the only reason we track, we identified that that was happening, tracked it back to this Chinese food supplement and got it out of circulation was that the results were very, very noteworthy. But suppose that one of the results was simply a decrease in fertility in humans, right? We're not going to, you know, it comes on gradually. We don't know what to take it back to. Obesity is a great example. So these, you know, I could go on for a long time and get too far from your topic, which is what's wrong with our food system. Right. No, but it's helpful because I think, I think it helps to break down just to know that part of moving to a commodity system is that your ends, your motivation change. Absolutely. Why are the people that are producing 99% of the food for us producing it? They're producing it for money. For money. And so it's not to say like, well, they're all just horrible, greedy people or something like that. Uh, In in fact, what if you'll look at like the rates of farmer suicide in this country, you see that they, I think, feel as trapped within an industrial system as the consumers that are in the end of it. And then if you really want someone to go get the pitchforks and kill, it's going to be like, you know, CEO of like Kellogg's or something. Right. But <laughs> when we sell off-farm, and we don't sell off-farm very much, yeah. but when we sell off-farm, we know that our product 
is the best product in the world because we're really only raising this for ourselves. Right, yeah. We're raising really good food, yeah. and then if we have surplus, we send it off. Now, if we were doing, and there are a lot of small farmers that are doing this, yeah. I've got to raise money to pay the bills, to do my mortgage. Mm -hmm. I yeah. am no longer, first of all, I may not be even making it for myself at all. Right, right, right. You know, the, most the, farmers don't eat what they grow because right. most you of the food grown in this corn. country you can't is... eat soy, you know, so you're not even you doing can't eat that. industrial. But GM if corn. you are, if this is money, if this is yeah. translated into money, yeah. now I am tempted, at least tempted, yeah. and very likely going to follow that temptation to find ways to grow more yep. or to... Uh, produce more it, cheaply or do it more cheaply yeah i mean the church has always said that one of the great benefits of of private ownership is the, the care that it naturally inspires in the person yes. for what's owned that's right and i think this could be applied directly to small scale ownership because if it's for you first right then you care yeah your <laughs> right. temptation to yeah, adulterate yeah. your food is it's not, not there. to say that there's not like a theoretical possibility of a pure heart altruistically producing off of thousands and thousands of acres but the point is that the temptation is is tough. right well and, 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 there are, and yeah, the practicality just, is oh, you yeah, can't do practicality it. you just can't farm on that scale very well yeah so it's radical what you're suggesting because what you're not suggesting is here is a way to have the same motivations as what we might call industrialist or capitalist farming um, and get better results. What you're saying is we need to actually change our motivation. So what we're talking about is conversion here, right? Well, where the end is no longer money. The end is to right, get back right. to a place where we are in communion with the land through yes. eating, and that's primarily what we're doing with the land. And then excess, rather than being the goal, right, is is the gift it's the, the gift surprise. it's the blessing that allows the the work to um flourish into the lives of other people but what's really fascinating about that to me is that the flourishing and the movement outwards from your family is actually guided by god in the sense that in the sense that your productivity like what will be in excess is not really the plan right yeah. it's what it's what yeah. comes from your care of the land. Yeah. And so you're just not, yeah. So you're not guided by the production of profits. And so that's a different life. And I think this is in some ways despairing. It can seem despairing to people because there's a lot of people within the Catholic world that listen to New Polity that get some uh, sense of a back to the land movement. And what their mind goes to is, I have this job in tech of designing apps right. for, for King Zuckerberg or whatever. And... And I hate it, and I, I hate myself for doing it, and I want to get out. So I'm gonna I'm gonna get what I get from doing that by going to the land and doing this. This is and you're there, and and I think the initial sense is a little dour, right? It's like yeah. uh, no, <laughs> right? You are not going to be able to live a money based, exactly commodity based right. lifestyle anymore. Right. If you want to do small scale, sustainable, and healthy farm, right. if you Fair. want to do it well, yeah, you have to think about it entirely differently. Yeah, I mean, but if first... you do it well, you can think about it yeah. entirely differently because it will it will provide for you the f one in of the ways first you haven't you seen before. Don't quit your day job. Sure, stay with your day job. Maybe cut back your and hours. Absolutely, that's what my whole life has been. So I Cutting was a professor yeah. at a university full time, 
And gradually, as we did more and more farming, and as food became less and less an expense for us, food now... We make, Again, I, we I'm make coming more back money. To this, I'm coming back to this conference that we're getting ready to do, which we're very excited about. We're also, I mean, we're doing Mother Earth News uh, next week, uh, not this weekend, but we're going down to Texas to do that. We do Homesteaders of America. But this local conference we're very excited about because it is local people together. Um, again, it's April 1st and 2nd, and it's um, it's thehealingland.com if you want to go look at it. But you can come to it and see how we're, we're having visits to these small farms. You can see how these small farms are trying to do that. And one of the things that we talk about in terms of farming is if you really want to know what a farmer is, a farmer is feeding himself and, this is the big one, improving the land as he's doing it. Mm. And that's something that um, when Joel Salatin and... and um, Wendell. No, not Wendell Berry. Uh, um, Pollen? Michael Pollan. Michael Pollan. When they were talking about... That was the wake-up call for, for Poland. Poland? What is it? P-O-L-L, so I think we should say Pollen. Pollen. Yes. Yeah. When he saw that it is not a uh, sum game. Yeah. That you a zero-sum right, game, right. That mm-hmm. you can have the best food that there is and more, right. more abundance. It improves the land. Or, you know, all of a sudden you start saying... You mean God made it that way? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, right, right. That, that you can do this? That, and that, that God created a system where it gets better mm-hmm. when you use it? More and more abundance. In fact, yeah. it's a non-competitive system. Yes, we aren't really absolutely. in competition with one another and the rest of the world no, to get what we need. Because if we take care of it... You're improving it. It takes others. care of us and it gets better in the process. And, and you are... are producing more and more of an abundance because your land is getting better. This and better. is exactly right. And this so is exactly right. More for everyone. But and the that, reason it so helps you believe in God. Yeah, it does. And believe hugely. in a system that if you fall if you get when I used to teach theater, I would talk about to the students and I'd say, you need to get into the groove of the play. You need to really find out what this play is trying to do and get yeah. into into that thing. And what we do now is, and people come up to us and they say, you know what you gave me? Oh, yeah. You gave me encouragement. Hope. You gave me hope. You, it's not so much exactly how to do it, because every piece of land is a little bit different. But you start getting into the groove of how nature wants to use this land with you to improve it. So you don't come to the land and say, this is what, and this is what the commercial farmer does. He comes to the land and says, this is what you're going to do. Poof. As opposed to saying, land, you teach me Mm. what this land is Mm -hmm. supposed to do. And that is back to the accidental. That's exactly what we followed more or less what our mom, our pops and did. It was more or less, it was, everybody follows the commercial method down to the small, because that's what you're taught. Yeah, sure. Uh, and so, but then when you start letting the land speak to you, you start saying, well, is this improving the land? Well, it's not improving the land. Then I need to do something a little bit right, different. Right. And, uh, and it's been a, a, a really exciting journey. And oh, one of the things that I meant to mention earlier was, so we're trying to find the books that say this. Right. And they're not out there. You can't find this. You can glean it from Little House. You can glean it from... Uh, all creatures great and small. You can glean. There's it all from sorts these of fun places things. to pick up knowledge about old 
agriculture, but it's usually not in books that were intended to tell you about agriculture. So what we said is we're going to write a book that's going to help that person make that leap. Yeah, yeah. And we're going to go talk about this and help people. Well, see, it that. seems like what, what's fundamentally different <clears throat> about what you're proposing is that in the same way that food no longer becomes commodity, farming no longer becomes job. Yes. And so what, the idea of like a farmer is is a I think it's a modern construction that we're then trying to import back on the f- past and say oh look they were all farmers or right, something right. they were humans yeah. <laughs> therefore they took care of the land and right. ate from it and whether they were hunter gatherers who knew not to take too much of any given plant any given year or it might not be there next year or who knew how to cull a herd a wild herd so that. Um, knowing that the, a large herd is going to go into a tough winter, you want to cull the herd so that some individuals come through strong instead of there's a huge mm-hmm. die off and mm-hmm. everybody comes through sick. Either way, whether hunter gatherer or agrarian, people were taking care of that land. Yeah. Where was that going with that? Yeah, well, I, I think that one of the things you said it, yeah. it's that it shouldn't be a job, but That's I, you right. know, it's just reading Wendell Berry and he's talking about how we should love work. Yes. So it is work. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And it's hard work. Yeah. But you're right. It's not a job because it's not being translated into these other things. And, you know, what we what we try to practice is what we call a, a low or no input farm. Okay. So um, what, what we watch over and over again is people buying the piece of land and then they follow the model of the commercial on the small scale and they end up going to the feed store a thousand times. And Even if and- they follow the model of a permaculture design person, it the, the picture tends to be erase what's here and put down what I think ought to be here or what I think sure. is better. Sure. Right. And so th- what ours is, the farm is going to provide an awful lot of the things you want. And if you're chasing the wrong dream, it's maybe because your farm is not that That kind farm. of farm, right. So that you are saying, what farm, tell me what it is that you can do. And that's been our journey is, so we, um, you know, the cow is just fabulous. I mean, the cow eats grass. You don't have to feed it anything else. It doesn't need grain. It, all of those things that people tell you it has to have are inaccurate. You can just live on grass. And you've got an abundance of grass. Okay, well, so how about the pig? Well, you know, how can that work? Well, the pig loves milk, you know, that comes from the cow and then the chickens. And and then you start saying, well, I, but I want to have more chickens, but how can I do this without going to the feed store? And then you start doing the research and you find things like mangle wurzels right. and you find things like trompongino squash, which are great foods for the animals yeah. so that I don't have to go to the feed store. Yeah, until I met you guys, I never heard of anyone growing food for their animals. I know that yes. sounds probably well, basic. It's because well, it's but because you have, commo- they, they've all soy and corn. We're, so. we're in a grain-based, right, right, in a yeah. commodity-based yeah. system now. The only reason we're feeding pigs, chickens, and cows corn and soy is that we have very large tracts of subsidized corn and soy, and we need something to do with them. Dial back to ni- the 1970s. And it was something else, not just corn and soy. And if you dial back far enough, you get out of subsidized yeah. grain and people are too smart to work as hard as you have to work to raise an annual for its seed and then feed it to a bunch of animals whose actual design, like God-given design, is for foraging and consuming the things, parts, and conditions humans don't consume. The reason we partner with the animals we partner with right. is their ability to take what's there yeah, yeah, yeah. and turn it into not just food for us, mm-hmm. but into a 
bunch of different forms that are all going to feed back into this little ecosystem in ways that make it more abundant. Yeah. And I, I'm wondering, should we go back and touch on these people who want to quit their their jobs mm. and become farmers and think, okay, so now what I need to do is look out the world's full of videos and books to tell those people, <laughs> farm just like me, look at my acre and a half that's yeah. making me $150,000 a year. You can do it too. Just pay me $500 for my, <laughs> yeah. for my video. Um, there are a lot of problems with that picture. The big one could be summed up with that doesn't work. So and quit, quit looking We're for walking it. Walking white back into the commodity. Right, right, right. But you're right that, that what we have to do is look at a complete remake of how we're thinking about life and living and vocation yeah. and food and farming. Yeah. Um, I was really relieved a couple of years ago to finally come across Mr. Wendell Berry in a couple of interviews making a statement that I had been combing through his essays looking for and not finding. But he finally, I think, was, I think he, I think times changed till he came to this conclusion and was prepared to pass it on to the rest of us. If you want to farm, don't tie your bills, your income, your mortgage. Don't tie your family's well-being. Don't tie your marriage to the success of a commercial farm when you're a beginner. Even if you have a really good mentor, that's a really risky proposition. Rather, examine the way you're living Look at those things that you consider needs, the things that uh, that amount to expenses for you, and try to get behind your assumptions about your needs, about your lifestyle, so that you can begin to lift burdens off yourself until the burdens that you're left with are small enough that they permit you to devote time, energy, and in the beginning, a certain amount of money yeah. into locating yourself in a place you're not going to leave and beginning to know it well. And only, you can only farm well in a place that you know intimately. Every year you stay, it's going to be better yeah. because you're going to know it more intimately. One of the things that I have always tried to do is if we see cash going off the farm, but certainly cash going off the farm for things like farming and stuff like that, I've said, how can we provide that from the farm? Yeah. And we're talking about a small farm. Our home farm is only 24 acres, most yeah, of which but, is trees up the side of a hill. That's right. So our home farm, and then we also farm a convent, their land, and that's where our cows are. Uh, and that's about 30 acres of pasture. Mm -hmm. So we are not talking about a big, I mean, my grandfather had 160 acres, came in on the land run in Oklahoma, and that's what they farmed. Um, and, uh, but we, we pride ourselves on the fact that we grow about 90 to 95 percent of both what we eat and what our animals eat and what our soil eats mm. all of that so so we are not bringing in the normal huge amounts of inputs in order to do it our farm keeps getting better yeah and our food keeps getting better and uh, it's a, it's a nice significantly system. too for us is that um we're not we're not ascetic and we're not trying to prove a point. So we do import, you know, like we buy cocoa and coffee and tea and grains that we don't grow ourselves. Limes. Um, 
Say it again. Limes. Limes, Limes <laughs> right. Corona, right? <laughs> we, we always say chips is one yeah. of the big Right, right. We, we import corn chips because we're Southwestern and, right, we, right. and we eat salsa. Um, but the inputs in our lives at this point are all things that we know how we would do without. Yes, sir. I mean, we could um, recently, we were at a conference where Joel Salatin was talking about how do you f- define the wheels falling off? Like what's, what would actually bring your program screeching to a halt? Sure, yeah. And we couldn't. That's great. Personally, we couldn't because... He, his, you know, it's interesting. Joel Salatin, who we admire, he he's wrote an the forward excellent to, commercial our, farmer. to our book. He's a very good friend of ours. Uh, his system would fall apart if he wasn't bringing in... Grain, fuel, and electricity. amounts of food now, and petroleum. Joel's goals are... Or in one sense, Joel's goals are identical with ours. He wants to produce the best food in a way that makes the land better. And we admire and he ad- him. And he accomplishes that on a large scale by empowering a lot of yes. other people, like 25 families worth of uh, people yeah, yeah, in yeah. his space mm-hmm. who are all working for themselves, but part of his larger um, intertwined system of cows, pigs, ch- chickens, mm-hmm. grass. And that's great. And so Joel does, because he is producing for export mm-hmm. within the bounds that are possible while still making his land sure. more fertile. His his definition of the wheels falling off was um, electricity, fuel, and grain. I'm not, I'm not uh, attempting to make a comparison with Joel when I say we didn't have a definition right, right, right. of the wheels falling off. It's just our system is not trying to rev itself up to produce a lot of exportable food. Want, right now, yeah, yeah. we're trying to take really degraded land and turn it into really fertile land. And as it gets there, it's producing more exportable And food. And, and uh, that's something else. Our land was terrible. Yeah. Yeah. Mostly, Strip mine, right? Yeah, right. Yeah, um, right. It had been, the topsoil had been taken off to backfill a retaining wall on a road. So it yeah, was, yeah, it was stripped. It's yeah, very yeah. steep. One way or another. You would look at this land as our friends did when we bought it and think, are these people crazy? Mm-hmm. That's right. And we did too in a certain sense. Again, we saw it as a recreation area. We right, did right, not right. see it as a farm. But we then, saw it as a place like to you say, flip you, and the, then farm. The, the land spoke to you. That's right. Which seems to be the, the Catholic turn when it comes to our human constructions because, you know, the Catholic is the one, is not the one who thinks um, that that you shouldn't be constructing the world. Mm-hmm. Precisely, the goal of yes. tilling and keeping was given to Adam in the beginning. Right. You do construct, but you construct a given. Right. The world is yes. given to yes. you. It's a yes. gift, right? So it has that priority of and, being a and gift. That whole... But then you're responding to the gift right. to to make it a pleasing and in fact, thing the to system God. works. Yeah. That's, that's what's what so we fun. keep saying, and that's what I think people yeah. when they hear us talk. They get so excited about yeah. this. This system works. Yeah. And Trust if you get in the groove of this system, it is going to start giving you repl- replenishing, giving, being very abundant. Yeah. And it's, it's what do, really what do we mean by system? So we mean by system that God made the world and the sun shines on it and there are leaves everywhere yeah, yeah, yeah. picking up photons. And those photons have to be, you know, they're collected into plant material. We take carbon dioxide, water, combine them with the use of that photon, and we make oxygen and and plant life. And that plant life is what fuels the world as a living space. Human beings can bring to... Imagine the world without people, right? We get a really interesting mix of plants and animals and other forms of life 
that um, go through a lot of boom and bust cycles, you know? It's the, when I was a kid, ecology was always uh, illustrated to us as snowshoe hares and lynxes, right? You know, as there's more and more grass, there's more and more snowshoe hares, as there's more and more snowshoe hares, there are more lynxes. Until one year, there's a poor year for grass, or you've simply outproduced bunnies. There are too many bunnies, and they starve. And then their population crashes, the lynx population crashes, the grass has a chance to recover, and it all starts over again. What did Adam and Eve do? They could see how it worked. They were mm -hmm. constantly discovering to their joy and delight how it worked. And they can put their hand out and with insight and foresight and, and care, mm. direct deficit and abundance so that instead of this beautiful but rather catastrophic boom and bust cycle that still has, you know, could make a lovely world, but it would be a world rather red in tooth and claw, Human beings are in a position to be docents or orchestra conductors, yeah, yeah, yeah. teachers, artists. friends, artists. Yeah. We, we love the idea of having, but my wife's a potter. I mean, we, we have been artists and we're still artists, yeah. but now we're farmer, farmer, <laughs> farmer artists. And yeah, you know, one of the, one of the main, there's a, there's a great little distinction between Calvin and Aquinas. Um, oh, that Calvin I was thinking of, and Hobbes. <laughs> oh, yeah. Gotcha. Right. Well, Calvin probably this is also a distinction between that, the other Hobbes <laughs> and Aquinas. But it's very clear because they both asked the question whether, and I just love this, uh, whether there were weeds in the Garden of Eden. Because oh. it's oh, a theological problem because yeah, part right. of the punishment of man when he is, mm -hmm. when he leaves the garden after sinning by being an industrial farmer, no, no, that's not right. Uh, by uh, being uh, disobedient, he um, the land will bring forth thistles. Yeah, uh, it's going to be part of the the man's curse specifically is to now toil among the thistles. Mm -hmm. And so when Aquinas asks this question, he says, "Okay, so was there a secondary creation where thistles created for the toil of man?" He says, "No, absolutely not." What he says is, "There were always thistles. Yeah. There were always thorns. Right. There were always weeds." But what man had by the grace of God in and through his obedience to God, he allowed himself to con continually receive the wisdom um, of God, which is not extrinsic. It's not just like, you know, this sort of implanting ideas mm -hmm, into his mm -hmm, brain. What, mm -hmm. it, what it means is he lived in such a profound communion yep. mm -hmm. with the world That's that right. he knew precisely That's what right. to do with a thistle because its nature That's right. was clear That's to him exactly because he was participating in God. with our cows. How's that? So there are all these. Oh, toxic... real quick before you say that. Yes, yes, yes. I just sorry. want to say that Calvin says the opposite. Oh, okay. So, oh, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. Yes. What Calvin says is he looks at the same question. And he says there was a secondary creation. This of time, the bad stuff. Yeah, not. He says this. He says the God does not create the thistles as creator or or as um. Oh, I forget exactly what he says as creator, but as punisher. Yeah. So there's a creation of wrath. So you can see I'm where- I'm so glad I'm not a Calvinist. Right. I agree. Right. So, but, so but, there's two things yeah. that I want to respond to, and I hope I remember them both. The first one is the cow. Yeah, cows. So we turn our cows loose, yeah. and there are all these toxic forages, things that if the cow gets a little bit of this, they're going to die. We watch the cow go and eat that. It's medicine to them. It's amazing. Oh, so you're and saying it's not actually toxic? Oh, or? no. Absolutely okay. oh, no. Not. Well, It's no, getting no. rid of worms no, no. for them. In a so but it's like going to your medicine ca cabinet yeah. and you said, okay, here's some aspirin. If you ate the whole thing <laughs> of aspirin, yeah. it's toxic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But if you have a little bit of that and a little bit of this and a little bit of that, it's medicine to you. 
And that's how these cows and animals work. So is if the, you want to have, instead of a monoculture grazing area, yeah. you want the natural grasses to come in, including those things. And the other thing is, we, we, we listened to a guy named Dan Kittredge, who we admire. And, Dan Kittredge, Bionutrient Food Association. He's a and gardener. what Dan says, he talks about what's out there. And he says, if you've got an area that is growing up in nettles, what the what the the soil wanted that because what it's saying is leave me alone i need to rest here for one reason or another there's something so these nettles come in or these spiny things come in mm. and they're protecting mm. that mm -hmm. part of the soil mm -hmm. until something happens and if you it's not just it's not just turning nature loose but what you will find is that eventually that canadian thistle dies out Right, because it becomes replaced with something else once, because the Canadian thistle is digging down very deep, mining deeply for the minerals that this soil needs, and when it starts to replace them, it dies out and the grass comes in. It, again, the system is amazing, and we should we should not be surprised by that. Right, God right. gave us this right. Great in case, in case, in case they use a term like the soil wants this is too anthropomorphic for the listener, for the Catholic listener who doesn't want to hear a bunch of, you know, sort of pagan environmentalists <laughs> on their line, right, on their screen. You should read um, <laughs> Yeah. He's always talking about the rock wanting and loving to be, uh, you know, to fall towards the ground. And that's who is that? Aquinas has Aquinas, this idea Aquinas, of natural desire. Okay, great. Then we're, coming, we're following in a good tradition. I mean, what we have to remember is none of this is an accident. We are living yeah. in something that flows from the mind and will of God. And God doesn't say anything that means one thing. Everything he says means everything all at the same time. As he speaks us, as he thinks us, and he thinks the world, all those pieces fit together. The thistle yeah. comes up because the seed was already, already present in the soil. And the conditions right. that will call forth thistle are met. Bare soil that is in danger of being washed away. Those conditions, which God had no trouble designing a seed so that it would know these conditions have been met, will then germinate, come up, protect the soil, yeah. mine for the minerals that the soil needs. I mean, this is an oversimplification, but we need to begin as Catholics to become incarnate again, to to embrace our incarnateness and the and the world's incarnational aspect yeah. this is not just raw material for us to mess around with right, right, yeah. um it's alive the parts that aren't alive are still held in being and designed so, by so it, God's it, it gets back to your question of weeds were there What's weeds in weed? the garden of eden no I mean, there were no are, weeds this is forage we're looking at all of this as right, right, forage right. Yeah. it's not weed yeah. and it is something that came up now that particular uh, thing with all the thorns on it, maybe there weren't many of them in the Garden of Eden because the Garden of Eden was being well taken care of. And that's what But they were already there. Farm. They weren't invented later. God didn't yeah. create them to yeah. punish I mean, us. We yeah. love the fact that as we we moved on to this, the convent property and it had been a pig farm. It had been destroyed. It was clay. Uh, all the topsoil had washed off. But through careful management of rotational grazing, some things like that, um, that property now is just abundant. Yeah. The grass coming in is beautiful. We're watching our cows do better. It's, it's, a, 
it's turning into, we do refer to it as our Garden of Eden. Yeah. And it's yeah. a beautiful place for the sisters as well. Yeah, and I think there's a... Um, there's a lot of... If you look at um, the sort of history of what you might just refer to as capitalism, but it's also industrialism, it's sort of a mix of things, somehow liberalism as well. So one of the first things we did um, to start making food into a commodity and to start really just unleashing mass production as the really the macro organization of human life. I mean, mm -hmm. we sometimes mm -hmm. forget that because we're involved in such, uh, it's still the, 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 really what's driving the world and the economies. Of the the air right we now. breathe. Yeah. So one of the, one of the things that um, this thinker, Ivan Illich, mm -hmm. um, points to is that this is only really made possible through the destruction of um, an ideal of subsistence. Absolutely. And I think this is really important because I think what happens to people now through this kind of reverse action where it's like we build the world one way and it creates in us all these ideas and then we take those ideas and we look at the way the world was and we're disgusted by it, yeah. mm -hmm. not recognizing that it's because mm -hmm. we occupy a new position now. I think the the term subsistence, the idea of subsistence mm -hmm. farmer has this like immediate image of like a gangly emaciated right. figure scratching right. at dirt Depression. with a stick. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. That's right. <laughs> but, but, you know, subsist yep. substance right the word is that um and, and this is this is to tie back into what you're saying or what we've been saying about the fact that what you're doing um which you could characterize as the restoration of a subsistent life mm -hmm. um, is something that is not just a one mode of farming among others but it is actually a catholic conversion yep. in the sense of you are now removed from the sin of greed which I, I'm speaking socially here, the right. sin of greed as, as you know us the, too well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the structural sin of greed by which um, the way we produce food is for the sake of profit. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. no matter if no matter what your personal intentions are, mm -hmm. insofar as you're part of that system, you're in a system of greed. Mm -hmm. So what we're talking about is not a choice among many choices. As Catholics, what we're talking about is a turn away from sin structurally. Right. Now, as you turn away from sin, it's also the restoration of subsistent life, where subsistence means something more like this, not that you are, we have this idea of the bare minimum, right? Right. No, no. Like, like only what you need to not kill over dead the right, next day. Right. Isn't it right. funny how it's come to have that connotation? That's certainly how I learned that word. And oh, it doesn't mean that. Well, it's, what it I means. mean, I think it's a, a, a psyop, as the kids say, right? I yep. think it's like... It, that is pushed precisely because if we ever really acknowledge what was before, yes. we would judge our current oh. system mm -hmm. you know, negatively. That's yeah. right. Quite but, that's but, right. But I think what it means is what comes from the farm. What comes from the farm Now, the next feeds step, you. and this is what we're starting to do again with this, with this conference, is what now can come from the community? Yeah. So how can the community, and wouldn't it be wonderful if my small community of Toronto, Ohio, if all those people said, instead of going to Walmart, I'm going to find out if somebody in my community could provide this want yeah, that I perceive yeah. that I need. Yeah. And uh, I, I, that to me, and I think we're starting to see something of that with our local farmers, homesteaders who are yeah, getting together. Right. And we are, no, we are not saying, 
how can the feed store provide it? We say, can you call the PAs and ask them if they have mm -hmm. something that we need? Mm -hmm. Or can we talk to the Burks mm -hmm. and ask them? And so that we are creating this desire to, prov to provide our needs from community. Yeah, and this is the destruction of idolatrous systems that have sort of lorded over us for a while. It's just, it, it's, a, it's a slow destruction, right? Because the point is we don't need industrial agriculture. We, we think we need it because we we're don't. addicted that's to right. it that's um, right. by a sort of social necessity. And that shift away from it, the shift that's going to happen is if the this system right? breaks down, and we do believe that it's going to break down, yes. you can't continue to farm the way they're farming. And it's, it's just going to get worse and worse and worse. And when that system finally comes to the point where we break down, I mean, part of it is the it's age coming of the to farmers. An halt, people. Right. It's coming to people. It's going to be a tough shift. But if we could have, in the meantime, Begun gotten these small communities together and said, let's learn how to do it. I mean, our, our own website is One Cow Revolution because we think if everybody had one cow, mm -hmm. uh, you, if the amount of independence you have by not, by providing for yourself the milk that, you know, it, it it's spills to the whole farm go to one cow revolution if you're interested yes. in the in the structure of this story yeah but it's yeah. that's the beginning and we need to be doing it now <laughs> rather than when that other system finally collapses and breaks down and wendell berry is saying it's going to break down Joel it Salatin is going to break down it's going to break down yeah we believe that our, too our, that our, it's going to break down our falling asleep at the wheel and letting this car keep driving the direction it's going is can only be happening in in a in an environment of the grossest ignorance. Right. Um, it's a very successful ignorance for um, exactly for, for what the, you said for the industrial system that's established it. Sure. That's right. I'm um, eating. What's what's wrong? And it's a combination of the two things you mentioned. Um, the second one being we tell stories about the past that demonize the past, tell us, oh, how scary and awful it was. Oh, people died in droves. I love this sort of funky contrast between um, life was so hard for people, for all human beings up till the present because um, they didn't have all of the, the tools and conveniences we have. They barely made it. At the same time that we proposed that they worked super, super hard to make it happen. So they were dying, but they were working harder than we would even dream of working. Yeah, sure. Some part of that inconsistency ought to set off like warning bells in our minds that maybe we don't have an accurate picture of things as they were. Well, I mean, one, one of the things that I always like to recall is how, you know, we work a lot actually today. Oh, yeah. We're busy a lot. We're busy. That's right. I shouldn't say we use our, our bodies and become stronger. I should say that we do things a lot for other people in order to accrue profits at various levels. Yeah. But when you look at a medieval society, what's actually very striking is how much less they worked because Absolutely. of the peasants. Festivals. Yeah, exactly. Festivals, Carnival. Festivals, saints' days when people did yeah. not work. They did not work on the Sabbath. Nope. You know, there are some beautiful things about that. And we're not just nostalgic about that. Sure. We really are. We really are drawn to that. Yeah. I mean, we hear about something like Clear Creek. That that group and these people coming around Clear Creek and they are in pursuit of something that's medieval. Sure, sure. And people say, oh, there's something right yeah, about right. that. 
uh, it's certainly happening in this area. Yeah, uh, yeah, we, yeah. We've been Definitely. hoping for it to happen for a long time. And it's actually been people like you. Sure. It's been your generation, I think, Mark. Who are saying, I want to come back to a place and I want to try and create that. And we see it finally really starting to happen here. And we're very excited about it. Well, I want to talk a lot more about that. We're going to we're gonna take a quick break. Okay. Um, and then I want to talk more specifically about coming collapse. Yeah. And then the Middle Ages, yeah. especially. Um, but then also to get into the theological roots of a lot of Great. what you're wonderful. describing as your life, which is wonderful. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. We'll be right back. 